Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners, macabre murders and captivating crimes from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the desert we tell. And it's episode 165. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, we've got a different mic set up this week and I will include this if the audio sounds weird because Sinead forgot her DI box. Yes, Sinead. I was having a stressful day. And I've got the mic, so now we're using the radio mics and the tiny, tiny, tiny little ones. It'll be fine and delightful. It will be. It will be fine and delightful. I just, uh, I'm sorry if there's any popping because I can't stay away from them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, are you well? How yeah, are you, Nick? Bumbling along. Yeah, you Bumbling along, we're all surrounded by boxes still. Yeah, still more boxes. Still more boxes. You had a big pile of solicitors' letters. So many letters. You're being sued. So many very boring, boring, boring things. <laughs> Is it just relentless? Oh, it's just dull. No. And it's just, there's a lot of legalese that doesn't need to be... Legally. Legally. Weedly. Yes, it's just, it's, just, it's just very unnecessary. Okay, my house is not contaminated. Yay. Do I need a 400-page report to tell me my house is not contaminated? Apparently you do. Apparently I do. Yeah. Apparently they were very thorough. They were very thorough. To be fair, I'm wondering why I asked you, because I'm bored of this <laughs> yeah, already. So am I. I'm just bored of it all. I just want the keys. <laughs> is anything else going on in your life? No. No, just this. Not. Just this, Just this and boxing. Solicitors <laughs> and boxes. And it's humid as well. And that's it. Yes. That's it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Until you move. Until you move, mate. And then it'll be fine. Well, who knows when that Oh, well. Well, any poisonings <laughs> this week? Solicitors and boxes. Don't poison the boxes. You need those to hold shit together. No, that's true. I should probably wait for the solicitors until they have finished soliciting. <laughs> it's a different kind of thing. It's a different, it's a different thing. They are not allowed to do that. <laughs> is that how they are working for you? Is that you have them working overtime? Perhaps that's why they're so slow. They're just too busy doing other things. <laughs> they work hard for the money. So hard for the money. I don't know why they're doing that dance whilst listing. It's compelling as it compelling is. Compelling as it was, absolutely. Yeah, I'm absolutely. <laughs> oh, you. Well, speaking of side hustles that may involve singing on the streets. And just being surrounded by boxes of promise and wonder, I think it's time for us to thank our delicious Patreon subscribers. All my, all my boxes are full of wonder, I'll have, I'll have you know. Are they? Yes. Even the ones with pants? Even the one with pants. They are 
particularly wondrous pants. <laughs> Come with me and you'll see in these pants of pure imagination. Have you seen the new Willy Wonka trailer? You sent a video today of, of, <laughs> of Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa and it's I thought brilliant. I was having a breakdown. Absolutely, I, I love it. Is it... But, is it a new Willy Wonka film? I didn't know there was yeah, one coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's the Willy, it's the origin, Willy. The Willy Wonka origin story. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, Timothy Chalamet is um, course, Willy Wonka. Of course he is. Of course you he is. love him. And yeah, it's his, yes, it's how he became the big chocolatier <laughs> sort of man. Um, and yeah, just right at the end of the trailer, it's fucking Hugh Grant being an Oompa Loompa. Yes. I, just, I loved it. You did. It made uh, me laugh. <laughs> to be honest, I was so busy today. I opened it. I just went, nope. Immediately, like that seems like that will set me over the edge. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 it's probably great. So, <laughs> it's so dead bad. And he's, 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 he's watching. It's so good. It made, made me chuckle at the end. Anyway, enough of that. On to the Oompa Loompa patrons. The Oompa Loompa patrons are, <laughs> are the They are all Oompa Loompas. Oh, fantastic. Um, especially Scott. Scott Fairman. Big Oompa Loompa. To Leslie Weatherstone. Uh, spooky vegan. Definitely Oompa loompa oh, yeah, That's very good. And to Kathy Oldenburg. Hooray! Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you to all of our new listeners as well. We are continually gathering more and more listeners from around the world. We are delighted to have you with us. We're getting more followers. Some people joining us from TikTok because you love the arsenic green, apparently. Who doesn't love a bit of arsenic green? Tales of the Wallpaper and uh, Darling Darling Julia Tafana. I think we need to revisit her because she she is an icon <laughs> that is being is. worshipped on TikTok. She Rightly is. so. No. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. If you are diving into this episode as your first one, buckle brave, up. Brave. Well brave. Done. Brave. Well, sometimes I worry. Worry slash hope for the people who start at episode one to I see mean, how I, far we've come yeah I've, i can't say i've not listened to like episode one <laughs> since like episode two came out so. <laughs> i have and so i don't know if i want to listen to it because i'm thinking it's going to be really weird it's i mean it's the first episode it's the first ep- the first episode of any podcast is always going to be your worst what we, what episode, we should what we should it's... do is we should redo episode one in our current modern <gasps> sort of stylings, oh, now we've become so much more comfortable with what we do. Yeah, I think and just so. like see the difference <laughs> between between the two. The first so, same, one, same cocktail. We were terrified because it was is uh, it Chapman? It, no, it was uh, no, Doctor Lamson. Lamson and the Dundee case. So we've, yeah, still got the recipe out. There. You've still got the script. I assume so somewhere. Uh, somewhere. I had the reams of the (laughs) research I did for episode one. And I have listened back. And and guys, if you haven't gone back and listened to episode one, maybe you're newcomers, but for those of you who've been with us for a long time, just just go back and listen and have a little giggle at how freaking nervous and serious we were on the first one. I think we should do, I think you should do your, your first one and my first one. So my yeah, mum was peppermint, peppermint, peppermint panic, peppermint, peppermint the, panic. The, uh, the Bradford sweet poisoning, poisoning, which is a great story. So, okay, I think we should do that. Okay. We <laughs> record those. I love it. When we start recording, you come up with marketing yeah. ideas. And I'm like, oh, we Jesus, that. that's so a I think good that, idea. I think that'd be interesting. I think that's a really great idea. All oh, people, if you're on board, then then go for it. Yeah. And if, please, this is the time where people weigh in going, yeah, can you redo that episode? Because it was shit. Yes. <laughs> redo them all up until about 140. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we that, could. They were all a bit dodgy. Yeah. Well, Nick, are you ready? Mm. To drink cocktails and talk about poison. So Dr. Lamson, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. Oh, fine. Or we could mm. drink poison and talk about cocktails. Mm. Mm. I want a story. Tell me a story. Oh, you are going to like it. Okay. So shall we go with the first one? Yes, if that involves a story. Let's go with the first one. Hooray, hooray, hooray. It is my story this week, but we can't, we can't, we can't possibly have a story without a cocktail in hand. As you know, dear listeners, every week we choose a secret ingredient that is inspired by the tale that we tell, and it will flavour our cocktail of the week. My story is my pick, mm-hmm. and this week's secret ingredient is... Mm. 
a severed head. Delightful. 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 Who doesn't love? And I see. We talk. We, I always go on about garnishes and how my cocktails lack garnish. <laughs> <laughs> so, Didn't know where you were going with that. So I? I think. I think a nice severed head on the side. I have not seen your brother in a while. <laughs> <laughs> would be. Would be. A, would be a delightful accompaniment. Or is it the solicitors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. I can yes. learn how to shrink them. Oh, shrunken heads. Yeah, I can learn how to shrink heads. Oh no, that's the awful. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Mm. Are they real? Like stuffed with sand, hot, like hot sand, and sort of shrinks it down. And we see you already know. So, Why yes. is, I should learn. Clearly, you've been practicing up there. God knows what's in your attic. <laughs> okay. So but yes. yes, a severed head. Now a few yeah. people have weighed in on uh, Instagram. Uh, mm. Finding a picture that I could put out on social media that would not be banned. Mm, that's, that's a very fair point. Yeah. It is, because I was thinking of doing, shall I do some uh, you know, paintings and mythology and everything, but then I found one. Of course, Tim, our darling friend Tim, the historian, weighed in, going knowing exactly who it was in the picture. I'm like, oh, actually, to be fair, I wasn't sure. But, um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But lots of ideas and people going, <laughs> but with a severed head mm. as the ingredient, what have you come up with, Nick? Well... A well. 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 Mm. Yes. Yeah. So. Okay. Yes. Am I going to be annoyed? I wouldn't have thought so. We're having a guillotine. You're going to be very happy with this. Is, uh, well, I thought I thought it's potential that a guillotine may be involved somewhere. <laughs> uh, you, I thought you might go down the street. I have no idea what's in a guillotine, but I just was thinking, I might go for a guillotine. <laughs> you know, it's perfect. Marvellous. It is perfect. It's perfectly appropriate. And I'm excited, actually. Classic heading so, territory. Yes. French-ish. French-ish. You'll learn. Okay. You will learn. Okay. <laughs> if nothing in this episode, you will learn the bloody history of the guillotine, <laughs> which is not intrinsic to the story, but it's fun. But it's fun. Yes. Everyone does some fun history. <laughs> well, I think it is high time for us to raise our torches, revolution like, and march into the poisonous cabinet kitchen. Storm the kitchen. Which is. <laughs> hey! Oh, that's better. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my idea. This is my joke. Well, you can say it. <laughs> no, Based fine. on Nick's joke just Boom. now, I think it is high time for us to storm into the poisonous cabinet kitchen and shake up a storm so we'll see you in a minute we'll see you in a bit <laughs> and we're back Hello. so Nick the guillotine, mm, the, guillotine. the guillotine is beautifully blood red <laughs> this is, is a spectacular colour absolutely gorgeous and do I detect an air of fizz an air of fizz only because I heard you open the bottle <laughs> that would be it that would be it yeah oh I like the look of it delightfully mm. French the red what would you do to get this red fizz and, fizz and red could it be Campari could it be some sort of food colouring food colouring mainly food colouring could it be the blood of the innocent yes or the blood of our enemies Blood of the citizens. <laughs> yes, before we try, well, we've just worked out from all of our joking, before we stormed the poisonous cabinet <laughs> kitchen, this episode is actually coming out on Bastille it Day. Is. <laughs> Bizarre coincidence. 14th of July, Bastille Day. So that is the anniversary of the storming of the Bastille. Yes. June's the French Revolution, 1789. In fact, weirdly, Bastille Day is not the celebration of that day. It's the anniversary of the celebration that took place a year later. Okay. Yeah, but yes, the Storming of the Bastille. Uh, do, do you know a lot about the Storming of the Bastille? Not particularly. It's not heavy in this story. It's no. just in the background of what happens. Okay. Or um, the Aristos. Because the Bastille was the symbol of the sort of the royal power, mm. the prison, the big prison, and also a munitions store. So it had all the military artillery. So everyone stormed out. Well, oh, we'll have some of that. Have some of those guns. Um, but famously, a prison, only seven inmates 
at the time of the storming of the Bastille. And they included four forgers, a lunatic. Nice. A failed assassin. Excellent. And a deviant nobleman. Nice. <laughs> so who, I kind of want to know the stories of all those guys. Yeah, who doesn't have a deviant nobleman? No, everybody. Every, yeah. Well, because well, Saad was in there for a while. Was he? I not so. at the time. No, not at the time. No, no. Not, 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 not at this point. No. But I think, yes, it's one of the places he was incarcerated. Yes. Um, it's a big, impressive place. Um, oh, yeah, indeed. But yes, yes. It was, the, well, one of the many times. One of the many, many stuff. This was the start of the French <laughs> Revolution. There's a lot of those. <laughs> but yes, happy Bastille Day. Indeed. And to you. But anyway, never mind that. None of that. Back to the drinks. Back yes. to the drinks, my friend. Friends. Right, so the guillotine looks very beautiful. Yeah. I'm excited to try. So mm. cheers. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Avant toi santé. Mmm. Ooh. Ooh. Fizz, good. Fizz. I'm getting fizz. And other, things. other things. And other things. Nothing really predominantly boldy, smash me in the face kind of thing. No. Which is good. Yeah. Because fizz is nice. But nice other things. I'm getting some nice other things. Hmm. There's a, a fruity twang. A fruity twang. Is there a fruity twang in there? There are some fruity twangs. Oh, thank God. Because often I say a fruity twang and you go, there's never there's been a fruit no, anywhere near this. No fruit anywhere near this. I don't know. Is there Campari in this? No. There's not? Nope. Well, I don't know then. <laughs> I don't know any other red things. Shit. What? Chambord. No. That's French. It is, yes, but no. Me going like that isn't going to change anything, is it? <laughs> Think of the other red thing that's French. Classically French. Really, really, really the, French. The, the red vermouth. No. The other thing is really French. Uh, really, 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 really. Okay, this is another thing that's really, really, really French. <laughs> and red. Shit. I don't know. Everything Fruity. has gone out of my mind. But cherries, strawberries, what? I do. Drink. A drink. I know, is, it's a drink. There's a, a fruity red one. Clearly I'm panicking. <laughs> I'm not capable of rational thought. What? French. Fruity. No! Stop saying fruity. Red. Blood. What? Cassis. Oh, shitting fuck. What? God damn it. Cassis. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah? You, you know that stuff? Yes, I do. I do. I know it well. I really like it. <laughs> right. Some creme de cassis. Creme de cassis. So we got the makings of a of a Kier, Kier yep. Royale, and one or thing. a Kier Petion. And one other thing that makes it a guillotine. Deadly. 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 Not, well, probably not quite so deadly. All right. Uh, is it? Still fruity. Still think fruity. Still think fruity. Triple sec. No. Maraschino cherry. No. Banana. <laughs> We've not had it on the episode before. <gasps> Ooh, okay. New stuff. Oh, you had new to order stuff. in stuff, didn't you? I had to order you? in new stuff. Oh, interesting. Well, I had to order um, in Cassis because I didn't have any. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> Where's my Cassis? But that's why I had two new things. Pear. Yes. <gasps> that was a complete guess, but nicely done. Well, we've never had pear before. <laughs> oh, is it? So what's the pear liqueur? So it's just a, it's an uh, eau de vie, but it's, uh, ah. it's made from pears. Um, yeah, Le Poivre William. Poivre William, that's yeah. it. Oh, I've always wanted to have that in a thing. So now, we, now you've had it in a thing. Yeah. So it's just, yes, it's cassis, some cassis and some pear. We'll stir it down with a bit of ice to make chilli and then just topped up with fizz. Mm, mm. Sorry, I've, that's the only second sip I've had because yeah, I spent so long really guessing red things. That's delicious. Oh, that's good. Oh, I'm very happy. That's good. I like that. I like the that a guillotine. lot. guillotine. I love that. You know what? That's a hit. Yes, I believe so. Now we can have more pear things. Now we can have more pear things and more cassisi things. <laughs> hey, I'm a happy bunny. Ooh. Well, there's not much else to say about no, it. No, really not. Just it's very nice. Everyone go and make one right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, cassis, not that expensive. Not that expensive at all. It's creme de cassis. It is a liqueur, isn't it? It's alcoholic. It is alcoholic. Yeah, it's, it's not strongly alcoholic. It's not no. like a like a Cointreau is like a 40%. So it's, it's like a... I think it's like a 12, yeah. 12 to 15 sort of. So a relatively low, 
percentage mm. in world of liqueurs because generally you would have it with and it is blackcurrant by the way yes remember having it as as a kid when my parents used to have it with like white well you have it with a bit of white wine or something mm. like that we dad used to give it to us with some lemonade when we were in camping in How france <laughs> well, no, no, so that's like camping so they used to have it with some white wine or something mm. and he used to put a little thing with just some like top up with lemonade when you were six probably about Eight or ten or something like that. Bloody hell! <laughs> <laughs> so, this is why the just way, like a this is why you are the way you are. Topped up it? with like a pint of lemonade. To be fair, yeah. my parents were giving me whiskey. Yeah, exactly. Like you you were age. knocking back the brandy at that point. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you, yeah, you were down the the cellars of the local chateau, <laughs> <laughs> dancing, <laughs> sampling the wines. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I was old in comparison to all the other French kids. The nice cigar and some charcuterie. And yeah, when I was in France totally drinking wine the whole time they're like yeah a little bit a little yeah. bit for you so i was i was i was camping in france with my parents Sinead was at her chateau yeah absolutely um, <laughs> nick that's the fam- so the that's so mean my house was in the grounds of a chateau <laughs> <laughs> across the lake across the lake from yes yes we had a separate house for our diamonds where we kept all the cassis <laughs> <laughs> I was in the campsite with the poor people. <laughs> yeah, we used to laugh at people. I know, like absolutely. <laughs> Look at them drinking their watered-down cassis. <laughs> Kill Royale, children. It was a magical time. Absolutely. <laughs> well, get some creme de cassis is the is the moral of this story. Also, if you've got chambord left over from previous episodes, we work. always say just buy some of that. You could use a syrup if you didn't want to have the alcohol in yeah, it. Yeah, you could do, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But the, uh, the poire William. Ooh, the pedicure. I'm going to be knocking shots of that back later. Oh, good. For no reason. (laughs) There will be reasons. Something to look forward to. There will be reasons. No reasons that you will like. No, just not good ones. (laughs) Okay, well, with our guillotines firmly in hand, are you ready for a story? Mm. So, with our guillotines in hand, you may get a hint... Or I've had ideas of where we might be going this I'm week. sensing it may be a slightly French direction. Is it? Do you think it might be French? Might be French well, I tell you right now, Nick, you'd be right. Ah, marvellous. Yes. So you might be thinking, okay, severed heads, guillotine, which I was happy with. Oh, there may be some some crimes, some cases, some people that there might spring are, to mind. There are many crimes involving guillotines. Yes, yes. <laughs> All of which would be worth their own episode. But, but let's start with a crime, as is our want. A little story. Now, this story is going to sound fanciful, but it is uh, dramatic, and it's going to lead us to the meat of the matter of this week's episode. Okay. So, we are in France in 1662. Mm. We're going to meet a soldier named Charles. Now, Charles has been wounded in his duties, and he's in Dieppe. And he has been taken in by a peasant family. He needs some shelter. He's been taken in by them and attending to him. And he's, he, he, he's struck by the beautiful daughter of the household, Marguerite. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, she's so lovely. He falls for her. Oh. And Charles is set on winning her heart. But while he is staying in this area, he hears from a cousin of the family who's also smitten with Marguerite. The cousin is a man. And is smitten with Marguerite. But Marguerite does not return their affections. Mm. So Charles is like, hey, but the cousin he hears goes, I don't know, (laughs) that's fine. I've got a sleeping draft. Right. I'm going to give Marguerite and uh, basically have my way with her. (gasps) That's good. Gross. Pretty gross. Now, Charles does not like this idea one bit. I'm glad. One bit. So he waits and he waits until he sees the cousin approaching the house. And he storms in there. Marguerite has been drugged, has been drugged, but the man has not had his way with her. And Charles fights him off, fights him off, challenges to a duel, pushes him. He's got an accomplice with him. Gets him out of the house. Yay! He's the most noble man in the world! It's not gonna... No, he's not. Sees her. Yeah. Unconscious. Yeah. 
so beautiful. He would relate or write, allegedly. So beautiful, so absolutely beautiful. And he was ashamed to admit he took full advantage of the situation. Yeah, so, that's less noble, I feel. Yeah, yeah. If the transcripts of what he writes is are to be believed. But yes, oh, her, racked with guilt. Racked with guilt. He couldn't resist himself. Oh, my goodness. Oh, he yes, was, he was yes, powerless no to resist. self-control whatsoever. Assaulting a woman while she sleeps. So we started dark. Don't worry. It gets yeah. better. Ish. Ish. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, yeah. Charles escapes away the next morning, goes away. Like, yes, he, he he's to meet the cousin for a duel. When he gets there... The father of Marguerite is waiting. Authorities, the cousin's like, no, he totally did it. He totally mm. drugged her. And it's like, well, he's absolutely right. But Charles is going to run away, but he must see Marguerite one last time. Over the course of the day, he goes back to the house to say goodbye to Marguerite. And as he would have it, as he wrote, he goes in and he sees Marguerite strapped to some sort of rack. Her father has forced her feet into torture boots. Oh, fun. Now we remember what torture boots are. Spiky. Well, they're boots that you put your feet into. As one does with boots. Starts off very well. Compressed. Yeah. Compressed. Jolly. Compressed. Compressed. Now, how far this compression has gone, we don't know. But she allegedly is being tortured. Her father is beating her with an iron rod, screaming, confess, confess, accusing her of all sorts of harlotry. Charles goes, no, no, no. I will marry her. I love Marguerite. I'm madly in love with her. Apparently, Marguerite says, I'm madly in love with him, too. Really? Really? Does she? Well, he's going to get me out of those boots. I'm he's going to get her out like. of the boots. She's like, absolutely <laughs> fine. He says, I will marry her. I will make an honest woman of her. Please don't torture her. Clearly has love and affection for this woman. Mm. But the father turns around and deals him a devastating blow. Yes, you will marry my daughter. And you are going to take on my profession as a result. You are going to become an executioner. Oh. So why, why, why? Ah. I shall explain. Is it a profession passed down through the daughter? It is a profession <laughs> passed down through generations. Um, yeah, yes. This seals both their fates. She's married to her rapist. She doesn't really get a say in the matter. Oh, God, no. But Charles, his fate is sealed and his family's fate is sealed for generations. Because becoming an executioner means shame and dishonour not only on him, but every son... Mm. And his son's sons, and his son's sons, and his son's uncle's brothers, and other sons. <laughs> because we are dealing with the Sanson family. Mm. Yes, today's story is all about executioners. And the most famous executioner family, apart from one British one, possibly. Yeah, maybe one, one. The Sanson family, six generations of executioners in France, the killers of criminals. And their story is so interesting that I thought, okay, crime adjacent, executioner. Well, crime related. Absolutely. Crime related. But that little bit of folklore there <laughs> was like, oh, great. Their family started with a crime. Okay, nice. fair Let's enough. Let's go with that. Now, whether that's to be believed or not, or whether that is... I'm sure um... there's an artistic license in the history. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Everyone, well, the generations of families would write memoirs over the centuries, grandsons, grand, great-grandsons and everything, and tell the story and very much been been glossed over. Got elaborated and things over time. Elaborated. Yeah. I don't know why they would tell that story. By the way, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a gruesome start to the the family profession, isn't it? Sort yeah, of, grandfather was a rapist. Yeah, but I, I, can't, I can't imagine they led with that. Oh, <laughs> they did. <laughs> so, Luckily, uh, 
executioners weirdly did keep journals now there are oh, yeah. a couple of very famous examples one of which i was going to do this story on and then read about the sands and go oh no i've got to start with them <laughs> there's another very famous execution that i may come back to which is very well documented within the story there are also many many other options for stories so i encourage listeners if you hear anything that you go no i want an episode on that jump in because these executioners will cross paths with all manner of people so first up executioner glamorous job nick Glamorous, probably not the word for it. <laughs> I think. Um, what, what, what would you what would you see as an executioner in the 1600s, 1700s? This is the kind of era we do. Yeah, I, I would. I would imagine it's probably not a particularly popular job, not a particularly popular career choice. I imagine it's probably fairly well paid. Mm, okay. Um, if you're going to if you're going to sacrifice an awful lot to do, there must be some sort of recompense. Recompense, some sort of bonus. Mm. For, for doing such an unpleasant thing that everyone is going to hate you for. Well, you're absolutely right. <laughs> well done. Well, well done, well done, well done, me. Well done, well done me. More booze for you. Yes. <laughs> and so I know sort of prisoners would also pay their executioner. Yeah. For their for sort of a, a swifter a swifter beheading or a sharper axe or Indeed. just make it less uncomfortable. There's all sorts of stories <laughs> like that that they could you know that they're bribing them and that they're you know they're asking for leniency. Absolutely. <laughs> and the execution is going to cro- cross paths with everyone in society mm. from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. But the reality of an executioner is a confusing one. It's a, the most confusing job <laughs> ever possibly. An executioner in the eyes of the public exactly as you said outcast. Yeah. The lowest of the low. The kind of person who is if you are killing your fellow man regardless of you being paid, if they are, you know, atrocious criminals, you are an outcast. No one wants to associate with you to the point where historically executioners had to live outside of the city. They could not reveal their name. Famously, the hoods. Big old hood. Big old hood, masks, all those sorts of things. So your identity would never be revealed so no one could ever come to you whether you were the family of a victim yeah, or absolutely. just a member of society who didn't like the look of you and like, mm. how could you possibly do this even though we all support capital punishment? Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. You can imagine like, yeah, someone gets executed and the, the son is out for revenge or something like yes. that to avenge their father's death. So you can imagine, yeah, you need to be anonymous. Otherwise, mm. you're going to have all sorts of people day and night trying to do you <laughs> in. <laughs> and I'm sure probably too big a debate to get into right now, but people must have thought the same thing as we would now. How could you possibly do it? What, what what goes through your mind to be able to do that again and again and again? Because there's not a lot of executioners. They have assistants, but you've usually got one executioner for an entire city, an entire mm. district, entire area who is doing the job because it's a thankless job. As we said before, you said about a job being passed on through generations. That's how executioners mm. worked back then. If you were an executioner, your family kind of had to pick up the axe. Quite literally. Quite literally, yeah. The axe, the sword, whatever's your poison. Yeah. You, it would stay in the family. The family's name is Mud. The family's name is Mud, but well paid. Mm. So you're shunned by society, living in secret, not allowed to go to the social events, not even allowed to go to church in some places. Your sons, your brothers, any male would carry the profession and the family name is tarnished. You are not really allowed to be a citizen in France. You are not allowed to be a member of society. You are not allowed to... Certain, certain land ownership is is banned from you. You know, you can only marry certain people. Who's going to want to marry into the family? How do you continue the family line? Um, it's pretty shitty. Pretty mm. shitty. But it's a necessary evil. Someone's got to do it. Capital punishment, all the rage. Yeah. All the rage. No one's saying don't kill people. Mm. So it's a position, as you said, is very well paid. Executioners had huge salaries. 
really big salaries. So there's some in the 1600s, even back to the 1500s, who would earn the same amount as lawyers yeah. at the time. Lawyers, famously rich, mm. as well you know. Quite well. <laughs> You're paying them right mm, now. Yeah. They just couldn't enjoy themselves with all their wealth. So they had good, good, big, big old houses. Big old houses, nice old feasts. And certain people who <laughs> were no friends. Yeah. Well, you get married and so, like, oh, you know, I'll have some of that finery, mm. but you just can't really enjoy it that much. Great author Joel Harrington, who wrote a book called The Faithful Executioner about Franj Smith who is someone we should probably do another episode on as well. I, I was going to do the episode on him, and I was like, oh, no. I talked about executions at the time in this sort of time period, so between the 1500s and 1700s. It's showing society that shit was getting done yeah. by the authorities. We've talked before about law enforcement being kind of, can, can you guys deal with it, people on the streets, <laughs> and then we'll punish them later. It's very much... The punishment is their way of showing something's happening. So that's why... And also a deterrent as well, I feel. To In make it way. as brutal as possible to try and... Yeah. Don't do this. Because we're, we're shit in investigating and stopping it. But if it does happen, then this is what's going to happen to you. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's sort of a deterrent to mm -hmm. say... Yes, we all, we will absolutely mess you up. Deterrent, but also a show to the public. Oh, for sure. It, it, it is those two to things together. <laughs> but it's, well, it's it's more of a display, like, we can do mm. stuff. This deterrent, whether it stopped people committing crimes or not, was debatable. It was more to show, no, 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 we do have a function. It's, it's ridiculous, really. It's kind of a vicious cycle of like, all right, well, is anyone not committing crimes? No, but when we catch them, oh, we'll give them hell. People are still committing crimes. Prison wasn't seen as punishment. Prison was a holding cell yeah. to your punishment. So being locked up for years and years and years while they decided what to do with you was not seen as a punishment. No, absolutely. No rehabilitation. None of that. No one not cares me. about that. No, no, no. no. How do we get you to death or yeah. transportation? Yeah. Later? Well, at that point, if you're evil, you're evil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is no saving There's, there's no coming back from that. <laughs> and that's the debate as well about capital punishment that a lot of executioners had when they were wrestling with the moral dilemma of it, going, are we helping people to their salvation? Are we helping people to the Lord? The greater good of them being saved because we can't save them on earth. A lot of executions clung to that idea. Yeah, well, absolutely. While being paid to kill people. Make an example of someone, as I said, is a two-edged sword, literally. The executions were historically brutal, but there were repeated and ongoing calls from executioners and campaigners to make them more humane in the interests of the crowd. So you've got entertainment, you're like, hey, execution. But if person suffers for too long then it's gonna, the crowd's going to turn on you crowd's going to feel pity yeah. pity for the person oh no that's not nice no. the idea of someone being hanged and burned to death and pincered pincered it's like sounds fun at the time but there, then after are, 15 minutes yeah yeah uh, there's only so much screaming that one can take i feel exactly it's not the point of execution is to get some pity <laughs> but yeah but before the snack stales go really downhill <laughs> everyone's going this is getting upsetting yeah absolutely <laughs> and this is the the golden age as it were of um of execution and creative methods creative methods there's no long drop oh no no absolutely there's at this time, when the Samson family start becoming executioners, it's everything flies. Everything that you could possibly do to a human being. Oh, do that. Yeah, oh, do, do that. that. that It'll fun. be fun. Most of the executioners had been people with shady pasts. So there were people who were brutes, the kind of people who were like, oh, I don't give a shit about mixing with society, get some money. But there were others who were respectable, good families, good education. And the blow to them would always be greater. Many executioners spent their lives around all of the executions they were performing, begging and pleading for honour to be restored to their family so they could clear their name for future generations. Back to the Sanson family. Mm -hmm. 
So the Sansa family are legendary as executioners because of the number of them, uh, the generations that performed executions and all the people they killed. Because <laughs> there's some famous ones in there. <laughs> but how did it all start? Well, upper middle class family. Good family from France, the Abbeville region. I'm going to state right now, 90% of people in this story are called Charles. <laughs> they have middle names that is helpful. Okay. But just drink through it. Yeah, no, so just go, go Charles. Trust me. Most of this was me trying to pick apart the, the bits of the which, timeline. Which, which Charles was Charles? <laughs> which I read so many articles that I had no idea. And they just wrote Charles over and over and over again. Because France, they have a, a list of names and you can only have those many names. And most of those names are Charles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only name they're allowed to pick. Me, Charles, Louis, and that's it. Oh uh, yeah, pretty much. And Pierre. <laughs> Pierre, Henri. <laughs> you can go back so far and there's, there's nothing. And um, there's Charles. everything in every middle name is a variant on that. Mm-hmm. So we started with Charles Sanson du Longval, who was the first in line of the executioners. Now, if we are to be believed, the short story is he married the daughter of an executioner. Mm-hmm. His memoirs that was written by his great, great, great grandson later romanticized it weirdly at some <laughs> to a point that's how he started married into the executioning ways becomes the execution of paris in 1688 marguerite the woman he gave up everything for would die in childbirth with their first son so that was they all got screwed there so charles takes the job slowly fainted at his first execution what one would i feel yeah you've got to think that the family's that have to do this. You've got no choice. You're going to yeah. get up on the scaffold and then watch this shit. And it's probably not like you get a lot of practice. No, you really can't. <laughs> so, it doesn't mean you can really rehearse, is it? <laughs> so. oh, just, I mean, I was going to say with watermelons, but they weren't prevalent really in, in yeah. some rural France. And also probably don't give you the same reaction. Imagine I could probably hack a watermelon into pieces, but put a live person in front of me, I may go... Oh, that's not quite the same. <laughs> yeah, that's, they're crying a lot. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> so. So when we've got executioners, before they rise to the official rank of executioner, they have assistants or they're helping the others and then they become the official executioner. He presided, he was the official executioner over a well-known noblewoman named Angelique Nicole Carlier Tiquet. Oh. <laughs> Delicious. Delightful. She'd hired men to kill her husband. Oh. Apparently it was by poisoning. <gasps> Excellent. Nice name. Being noble, she was spared the horrors of being hanged and hanging back then, yeah, choking to death yeah. for 10 minutes yeah. or any other torture. Noble means beheading. Yeah. Quick blow with a sword. Done. If you're good with your aim. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. We're not we're not on Anne Boleyn territory here. Yeah. We have a special <laughs> French swordman flown in with like a perfectly sharpened knife and then gone in one one failed swoop. Took him three goes to cut a head off. Um, and the way it's written is that with every blow, blood just went all over the crowd. Like, way, way. Well, there is going to be a certain sort of splash zone, isn't there? <laughs> so we're all you, hit, you hit an artery, it's going to go. Yeah, just hacking at her head. Three times the head came off. Apparently her face looked really serene still after this. Yeah. So, blood-soaked crowd. Lovely. Lovely. Do they get, like, ponchos? <laughs> like, like you're doing like Disneyland they got or something. Bladders. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're just like holding up children in front of them. Like, hey! <laughs> but now to the line of succession. Okay, this is where it gets fun. Okay, so this Charles had an older son called Charles, who inherited the role, but then he died. Ah. Luckily, he had another son called Charles. Called Charles, excellent. Yeah. Charles the younger took his place. So that Charles Sanson grew up, married a woman named Anne Martha, and he took control of the sword. Mm-hmm. He had two sons. Charles and Charles. When he died in 1736, Anne Martha was very keen that the sons continue, continue the line. She's quite a driving force. There's mm. not a lot written about her other than that she was, I like this lifestyle. <laughs> I like the money. Fuck going out. 
You guys are going to carry I on. I get a good position at all the executions. Mm. I'm in the fancy box. Yes. <laughs> now, those sons were Charles Jean Baptiste and Nicholas Charles Gabriel. There's just a Charles in everything. Charles, 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 Charles. Charles, 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 Charles. But Nicholas as well. Yeah. Gabriel in there as well. They're both just children at the time of their father's death. But the execution work is carried out Tiny by... Swords. Sorry? Tiny swords. Tiny, tiny swords. <laughs> well, they literally have to grow up on the scaffold because the assistants and there's a there's a sort of a holding pattern before they can the seven year old <laughs> can get hold of the axe <laughs> they help the assistants they grow up just like being splattered is one of them with blood one of them on the other one's shoulders and they got a big coat <laughs> <laughs> falling down from the sheer weight of the axe breaking on the wheel they're just they're threading themselves through it as well but this is the days of the mm. threading of, you know the, the yes, broken on the wheel the burning and all sorts of things they help up they grow up Jean-Baptiste takes over he takes over as the lead executioner he would go on to have 16 children 10 of whom lived he was practicing on them no he wasn't practicing on them it's like <laughs> the wife is terrified uh, of practicing him. with his wife by the sounds of it he does <laughs> More children. <laughs> no, not this one. Ten survived. Apparently it was all fine. They worked in the family trade, but it was his first son, Charles-Henri Sanson, who would be the most famous Sanson executioner. And generally history thinks too. Okay. <laughs> so we've gone through the line of succession. We've executioner, got a lot, lot of Charles. Yeah. So Charles-Henri was born in 1739, not keen to take up the family business. It, it's pretty gross yeah I, it wouldn't be my first choice to be honest no he goes to school good family good education from the get go he's not interested that does make it sound like he came out of the womb going no <laughs> he didn't he learned to speak and then went then went no 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 didn't come out going I'm not cutting off any fucking heads goes to school he's got his sights set on becoming a doctor studies medicine he wants to heal people he does he wants to make people better he really does he really does and in the past you've got executioners way back when we can cover another episode like Franz Schmidt who was a healer who was a healer as well as an executioner so real interest in anatomy mm -hmm. don't know where that came from <laughs> but he's studying at school until some of the other parents find out uh... who his daddy is they find out he's the son of an executioner. There's uh, a whole transcript in the memoirs that a child is drawing pictures of him being an executioner, his dad being an executioner and handing them round. <laughs> but the long and the short of it is the family find out going, that, that kid's father is an executioner. He is asked to leave the school. He's kicked out of the school, has to go into private education because no one will be associated with an executioner family. Despite his efforts to find another career path, his family, particularly grandmother and mother, were insistent take up the job you have to do it it's a it, it's a job that needs to be done there's no getting away from it so not only would he have to be lead executioner one day but the current executioners also needed assistance so he had to help his dad as soon as he said okay fine right you're on the scaffold yeah no I'm matter get what there. yeah here's a mop wrangle <laughs> prisoners in there clean up the mess arrange the equipment do a little dance warm up the crowd exactly <laughs> as i've said we're in the golden age of executions so do you want to remind people what breaking on the wheel is? Lovely, there's a golden age. <laughs> <laughs> I've decided to call it that. Some people, some historians sort of call it that. It's like executions absolutely fluke. Well, because this is before a very important period where people went, fuck no. Yeah, went, mm. Because by then, breaking on the wheel, boiling in oil, 
drownings, hangings that weren't hangings. They were just throttling you for 15 minutes. <laughs> a damn good stretching. Battering you senseless with various things in weird positions. This was it. It's like if you want a golden age of execution, go, well, this is weird. This was the time. So you, you're sort of up on the scaffold and when Charles Henri is up there going... Well, I mean, I, if I can cope with this, I can cope with anything. Oh. So do you want to remind people of the famous breaking of the wheel? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a delightful thing. Mm. Basically, you've got a big old wheel, big old cartwheel, yeah. and they break your arms and your legs and your, your bones and everything, mm-hmm. and sort of throttle you through the spokes. Mm. And then leave you And there. then leave you just hanging around. Yeah, that's going to sound is... real nice in comparison with what happens next. <laughs> And think, then they chuck you on a fire. Oh yeah, then they break. Oh yeah, then they break. clean up, clean up. <laughs> yeah, breaking on the wheel, lovely. Yeah, in comparison to what happens if you attempt regicide. Oh, this is a ha- this is a drawing and quartering type affair. Yeah. Yeah. So Charles Henri was assistant to his uncle Nicholas Charles Gabriel Sanson. That's another load of names. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's just Nicholas. Uncle Nicholas does not stay in this story for long because (laughs) of what happens. He is in charge of the execution of Robert Francois Damiens. So Damiens, Damiens. Do you know who he is? Nope. Okay. From context, I'm assuming he tried to kill the king. (laughs) He did. He did. Well, this is (laughs) something of a madman, domestic servant who went a bit mad, decided that he needed to kill Louis XV. Fun. Okay. So he stormed the grounds of the Palais de Versailles and went at the king with a penknife. Okay. And it is a, it's a tiny knife. Went at him. It's not going to get through 15 layers of silk, isn't it, really? <laughs> this was in winter as <laughs> and well. Jewels. It was in winter. <laughs> it stabbed it, just flesh wound. Yeah. Flesh wound, but he got past the guards and he injured the king. Ooh. Now, this is a scratch because of the sheer amount of clothing in there, but he was terrified, frightened. You know, As one would someone be. has come at someone me. Someone's trying to kill me. And when the blood starts pouring, he thinks that he has been mortally, mortally wounded. Calls for a priest, calls for a confessor. And then calls for the queen and starts apologising for all the affairs he's had. Nah, nice. <laughs> and like, you're fucking all right. You're fine, mate. <laughs> Doctor and priest there going, you're fucking fine. Yeah, he's like, it's it's, it's Louis the Fifteenth. So she's like, I know. Yeah. I know. He's like, no, no, babe, it's so much worse. There's so many more you that have you don't not know been about. subtle. <laughs> no, it got really weird once. Yeah, so he must be furious when he finds out there's a scratch. Oh, Queenie, by the way, none of that happened. <laughs> Whether it was because he was attacked or also you found out, shit, I've just confessed to a lot of stuff. He is not lenient. No. On this man. It's the first attempt at regicide in over 100 years. About 150 years, I think it is. Throws the book at him. I believe the shit I got involved with with my wife. He didn't even try to evade capture. He is routinely tortured by the Sanson family uh, to reveal his co-conspirators. Gives no names. So then it's on the 28th of March, 1757, that he has brought... To the Palace de Greve to be drawn and quartered. Nice. So we start off with a standard pinching of the flesh with hot pincers. Standard pinching. Pinching, pinching. So hot pinchers, pull the flesh off your bones. Nice. Lovely. Uh, special pincers they got for that occasion. Gold ones. Yeah, they could handle them nicely. <laughs> then the hand with which he held the knife is burned with sulphur. Fun. Get then rid of that. Got a mixture of molten wax, molten lead, and boiling oil poured into any wounds on his body. Fine. The wax I could probably cope with. <laughs> Sorry, what? Well, I mean, wax. Yes, it's hot, but it, it doesn't. It's it's not it's not fatal. No, but the, the it's oil... not kinky, Nick. Let's but just the, not the, go the, body the... of No, I'm just thinking this. if you're going to if you're going to use why 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 wax? It seems like a to seal it. How's that going to seal? Because I suppose that would seal the lead and the sulphur. It's not going to let it pour out. Maybe. 
Well, no, because the, the lead and the, the lead is going to be so hot that the wax is just going to melt anyway. These so. were debates that the, the executioners had around yeah, the table. Like, why, are we, why are we wasting good wax? Why, why are we wasting, why are we wasting good, wax? good wax, mate? Absolutely. Make some candles. Create <laughs> um, an ambiance. Yeah, exactly. Make it spooky. But <laughs> 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 it's Halloween in but a few months. I think the lead is going to do it. I think the molten lead is... is... It's, the fucking king wants it to look bougie. That's what it is. <laughs> so we got... So he, he's he's full of shit. Perhaps there was a delivery of 400 candles. Okay, what the fuck? We must do with all these candles. <laughs> king going, make it look really bougie. <laughs> he wants them everywhere. Make it look really cool. But they've gone... We only need four. It's not a big room. <laughs> so, what do we do with them? We've got to do something with them. They've been delivered. <laughs> Fuck them out of them all. Chuck them in it. Stick them in their corpse. Interesting enough, bougie is the front word for candle. There we go. <laughs> anyway, so he's filled up with stuff. It's very nice. I like it, I like it, I like it. Genitals ripped off. Of course. Uh, by, by Nicholas and Charles' age. They were like, how do we do it? One inch. <laughs> Three. There's three bits. Oh, too. there's three bits, aren't there? Oh, the yeah. penis comes off as well. <laughs> and then he's torn apart by horses. Nice. His his arms weren't coming off quick enough. Or the horses were slow and fat. <laughs> so they had to kind of go at his tendons with a knife. Yeah, you've got to get through the muscle there, haven't you? Yeah, you've got to get through those, those ligaments and things out of the way. This was seen as a little bit of a note afterwards of like, yeah, they had to actually go at it with a knife. You yeah. know, it's like Big, bodies are difficult. Torn apart. Torso left, hurled onto the fire, ashes scattered to the wind. Nice. He died at some point during that. Quite early on, one would imagine. (laughs) Well, some say it wasn't until, well, poetically, they say it wasn't until the last limb was pulled that he died. I would have died looking at all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would have just... Yeah. I would have just flung myself off the ramparts or something, girl. Well, then they wouldn't let you, would they? I would have died of fright the yeah. second a pincer came towards me. No, absolutely. But I would. Yeah. I would have done something just to get it over and done with. And you, I, I, what? Well, what? I don't. Know. I mean, There's try, 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 try and attack someone. Try and rush someone. Not thinking you're going to escape, but just try to. But you're in chains. You, you, like, they want their hold show. Hold your breath a lot. <laughs> until you pass out or something it looks like you're having a tantrum like you're going purple like no I won't go to the big torturing they're like you're going you're, you're going going. going whether you want to or not yeah, like, it's a beautiful day out <laughs> excellent day for pincering as well as that obviously anyone who tries to commit regicide house raised to the ground entire family banished from France have to change their name don't Sanders. give the king a paper cut <laughs> go to do it do it properly after this display Uncle Nicholas retires early like fuck this shit i'm out that's horrific that is like he well was... imagine one one good after that affair it, you this... can't beat that can you we're joking about it he absolutely has no stomach for it after that because nicholas is not supposed to be the executioner he's sort of standing in until charles comes of age charles Henri is like right if i can deal with that i can deal with anything he has been hardened to this and as his father's health begins to fail from a stroke in 1778 charles Henri receives the blood red coat from his father nice. which is the symbol Symbol of his office. Of the executioner. I don't know if that's an official symbol or whether his dad just gave it to him and he went, what's this? Just put it on. Shut up. Has it been washed for 400 years? <laughs> no, you know what? No, I don't <laughs> want your horrible death coat. <laughs> I'm fine with my jerkin. Yeah. Charles Henri takes up the position of Paris's official executioner with his team of assistants his own sons will later join with him work with him and carry on the legacy. During these early days in his role Charles Henri lived a mixed life Yes, he's getting very well paid. He is a man of a good family and a good education, but still, still, he's an executioner. He must be shunned. He must be pushed away from any civilised society. But he continues, continues to fight, I guess, for the rights 
of executioners arguing very eloquently why is my name mud when you are paying me and you're saying this has to happen he goes to in 1789 we have the newly formed national assembly who are just on the side of like oh, fuck the monarchy <laughs> they are reviewing the status of executioners and they deny them they deny them their right to civil liberty civil status they say it is in the soul of all good men to shudder at the sight of one who murders his fellow creatures that you told me to murder. Mm. <laughs> Charles Henri wrote to the assembly himself and said to deny the rights of an executioner while demanding their service was the height of hypocrisy. I agree. In his words, he said, either conclude that crime must remain unpunished or that an executioner is needed to punish it. And it's so simple. That's absolutely, that sounds entirely fair. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? We want to make him the pariah, but we want to pay him and say it's all right. But he was about to become pretty, pretty influential in upgrading the dispatchment of criminals okay establishing a rather fetching piece of machinery <laughs> and that's going to figure quite a lot is it in france's history <laughs> or the future where he's concerned mm. i think that might be time for another drink <laughs> definitely hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So, Nick. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the guillotine? Have I, um, no, not until this cocktail. Not until this cocktail. No, anyway, what, what a thing of wonderment. Yes. What a strange contraption it is. No, so the guillotine, when was the guillotine invented? I have no idea. Right. No, no, no attempt at it. Well, I, 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 one had assumed it was sort of a French, yes, 1700s sort of device. Mm-hmm. I have a suspicion you're going to say, oh no, it was invented by the ancient Babylonians in 300 <laughs> BC or something. Was it? I don't know. I don't know. Imagine it's not French, though. Everyone thinks it's French, but it's not French. Well, the guillotine is. The guillotine is. (laughs) I wasn't. (laughs) No, well, the guillotine is, but it's a version of things that have existed for a long time. I'm sure there's always been head chopping off devices. Well, the Halifax gibbet. The Halifax gibbet back in the 13th century. So this is like an axe head. So, like, lots of weights and stuff like that, and then uh, cutting down. And the Scottish maiden. 
mm. in Scotland, used for a very long time. And these contraptions were the basis for the guillotine. So by the 1780s in France, Charles Henry, amongst many other people, are calling for better equipment. From his perspective, he's like, okay, I, you, there are a lot of people who need executing. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's a lot. It's a lot. And also there's a revolution. I need better equipment, faster, more humane is just better for my team, better for audiences. Also, I've got to pay for all the equipment I use right now. And I've got to pay for my assistants. And I've got to pay for maintaining them. This is a lot of admin. And I'm very tired. But there are also campaigners who are very strongly against the death penalty and are at least trying to say, look, if you're going to have the death penalty, can it not just be fire and sulfur and wax, all of the wax? Can we please get rid of that? They are saying, just, just have something faster and more efficient and more humane than what you've been doing. Evidence. Fair. So the name guillotine comes from Joseph um, Ignace Guillotine, not the inventor, was a campaigner against capital punishment. He was totally against capital punishment in so many words. Debated with Louis XVI and said, if you're going to do this, can we come up with something better? Let's do it nicely. Let's do it nicely. Anything is better than all of this. It was surgeon Antoine Louis. The original name for the guillotine was Louette, an engineer named Tobias Schmidt. No relation to the earlier executioner. Tobias Schmidt was an engineer who made musical instruments. Nice. He <laughs> was a good friend of Charles Henri. <laughs> they are the ones who build the prototype of the guillotine in consultation with Louis XVI and Charles Henri. So they're all talking about what can be done. Let's let's look at the Halifax gibbet. Let's look mm. at the Scottish maiden and let's build something that is appropriate and quick. And it's Louis XVI himself who says it needs to be a straight angled blade rather than a curved blade like an axe. He chooses the blade of the guillotine. Mm -hmm. That won't come back to haunt him at all. <laughs> And it's Charles Henri who was the first executioner to use the guillotine. He did all the tests with hay bales, live sheep, well, yeah, and then corpses. Yeah. So the sheep were probably unnecessary, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a lot of bleating and also it's not the same. Well, I suppose, I suppose a live thing is going to give different than a dead Wriggling thing. Wriggling and yeah, yeah. Can, we, can we hold it in place? I mean, it's... So. it's and it's on, on a corpse as well, it's probably going to start getting a bit more squidgy than a live thing. Quite so it's fresh, much, fresh. so it might come apart easier, one would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the sheep is a small part of the whole moral argument. Here, really. <laughs> <laughs> if, gonna, if that's the hill we're going to yeah. die on, then I think that we, we peaked too soon. <laughs> on the twenty fifth of April, seventeen ninety two, Charles Henri executed Nicolas Jacques Pelletier, who was the first man ever executed by guillotine. Mm. He was a robber. He had killed someone in the street. Everyone turned out. Uh, he, new he, fancy device well yeah he'd actually asked for the national guard the equivalent of national guard excuse me to to, to sort of man the area because <laughs> oh, we'll have big crowds i think it was a fairly normal crowd uh, the guillotine was painted red well you don't want to get splatters of blood all over well, it, that's you? It. There's, you don't want to paint it white and then it's like Ooh. i think later <laughs> on the guillotines weren't red they were just like why did we paint it red that's weird there's going to be blood and also no paint that we have matches blood <laughs> painted red prep for the day like lightning because Charles Henri wanted to get the shit over yeah. with and he wanted to show how Got fast it was. Execution done in seconds and the crowd booed. <laughs> he hadn't suffered enough. They were shouting, it's way too quick, bring back the gallows, they're called. But the guillotine was here to stay and what timing because things are really going to kick off. Mm. The French Revolution has been bubbling away now for a few years by the time of the guillotine's inception and its use, which is in 1792, the French Revolution has been going for about three years-ish. Shit is going down. Yeah, there's a lot happening. It's in not constant storming. Yes, there was the storming of the Bastille, but then there's a lot of talk. There's, <laughs> there's a, a lot, lot of, of debate. There's a lot of chat, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of 
fervor and there's a lot of fights and things like that but it's not wall-to-wall violence there's a common misconception a lot of cake as well <laughs> it's a lot of brioche it's a lot of brioche going around the place it's just Kirsten Dunst looking <laughs> fabulous Charles Henri is now the chief wielder as it were of the guillotine and everyone starts to love it mm. everyone loves it and he becomes a bit of a celebrity so there's some writing of the time that says describing him handsome and well-formed he possessed a superior intellect and an excellent education he was extremely elegant in his habits and attracted so much attention by the richness of his dress that a somewhat arbitrary measure was taken which forbade him to wear blue because it was the color of noblemen his manner of protesting consisted in adopting still more gorgeous costumes (laughs) of green cloth he even made the color fashionable and the beau of the court copied the cut and the colour of his garments and wore the coats a la Samson. So yeah, he was a trendsetter. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone yeah. was wearing his coats. Fashion, fashion icon. Absolutely gorgeous. Not allowed in court. <laughs> Don't fucking come near me. The flip side of this, another brilliant story from Charles Henri from his <laughs> from his memoirs. One night he was dining at an inn, a respectable inn, lovely place, has a conversation with a Marquess. Putting the world to rights, very respectable, very nice. She's talking to him respectable people, nothing untoward at all, told her he was an officer of the parliament. Very pleasant. As he goes to leave, another patron calls to the woman saying, do you know who that man is? And she says, he's an officer of of Paris. And he goes, oh yes, an officer, the executioner of Paris, just come from supervising another execution. At these words, apparently, the Marquis, the Marquess nearly fainted, becoming speechless and in her confusion shed tears and in remembering that she had shook hands with him, asked for a basin of water to wash her hands. Get over yourself, love. (laughs) Gets better. Okay. She left, immediately, immediately goes, petitions Parliament, petitions Parliament that he be sentenced to beg for her pardon, for having the audacity to talk to her, and he must do it on his knees with a rope around his neck. Right. Also, for the safety of the public, he should henceforth wear a distinctive sign so that all should know him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just for speaking to her demands Such audacity. Parliament that he come to her with a rope around his neck pleading with his, and also has to wear a big sign saying I'm an executioner. That went to court. Mm. That went to court and he was acquitted. He was acquitted. Man. <laughs> Crazy lady. Allegedly that happened. <laughs> I should say I can well believe that it did. Yeah, I can well surprised. believe that, that a Marquess would just yeah. go oh, me I've been dishonoured. Now, whether it's being a fashion icon or being a pariah, Charles Henri is busy as ever. He was entitled also to keep any of the possessions of the dead. Nice. Who came nice. up on the scaffold. So go through their pockets. Nice few perks. Yeah, the hair that he cut off because of the guillotine and everything. Sell that. Clothes had to go to the poor. Boo. But soon his fame would exceed all expectations when he was called up to the ultimate role, the execution of Louis the Sixteenth. Yeah, that'll make you famous. Yeah, was not expecting that. I can't imagine he was. No, it must have been quite an unexpected letter to receive. So apparently he was a, a royalist. He was a supporter, but he's the executioner. It doesn't matter what side no. you land on. You've got to do your job. Do what you're told. And basically, the state, the country, has said, "Kill the king." Okay. Okay. Right. Great. So. It's Louis the Sixteenth mm. is going to come to the scaffold, and everyone's like, "Wow, we're going to turn up for this." It's in 1793. The king arrived at the scaffold. He at first, Louis the Sixteenth refused to hand over his coat because his assistant said, "Give me your coat," and he went, "No, I like my coat." I'm paraphrasing here, <laughs> it's, it's obviously. It's my coat. <laughs> it's my coat, but I like my coat. 
And then they go, no, no, we need your coat because we need to tie your arms. And he went, I don't want you to tie my arms. Don't. I don't want to keep my coat and I don't want you to tie my arms. And so eventually he goes, no, no, oh, no. Then they say, look, Jesus was bound. Jesus was bound at his end. And Louis goes, okay, all right. I, I've been at Jesus. Oh, I've been, I'm like Jesus. I don't know why I'm doing Louis' 16th voice like this. Me. Well, it's Louis' 16th. I think I will do his voice. Like, you know what's important? Spending more money to show everyone that we're On wealthy. bigger coats. On bigger <laughs> coats while Paris burns. So yeah, his final words, the king's final words, he tries to speak to the great, he speaks to the crowd and he says, I die innocent of all claims laid to my charge. I pardon those who have occasioned my death and I pray to God that the blood you are going to shed may never be visited on France. Then he carried on, but then someone started drumming. <laughs> it's not being piped off at the Oscars, it's isn't it? Literally, <laughs> he had a whole thing planned, big old thing planned, and they're like, no, 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 sorry, but, uh, drum, 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 drum. Charles Henry cut his hair, lowered his head to the guillotine, and the blade fell—the blade that he had helped to design. Some say that it did not cut through cleanly. And Charles Henry had to sort of come up and lean on it, like, <laughs> just get in there, get in there, get in there. Others say it was in clean cut. What he had to do was he had to lift yeah. the severed head from the basket and hold it up to the public. And they came forward with their handkerchiefs to soak the blood in the king. Some say he screamed out on his death. Others go, no, that's not possible. No, probably not. As... No, your spinal cord's been severed. Yeah. You ain't going to do as it's coming, as, it's, as you're lying there, scream away. But as soon as that blade comes out, you're not screaming anymore. No, you, you, don't, you don't survive <laughs> yeah. after that bit. There's lots of debate about it, mm. lots of debate. There was a famous case that, I'll tell it now, that very quickly, in paraphrasing, uh, Charles-Henri execute Charlotte Corday was a revolutionary assassin. Let's put it that way. She assassinated uh, some of the, the nobles. She was guillotined. One of the assistants in his team lifted up her head and slapped her face in front of the crowd and people said that her face had was had blushed upon the slap and others said it looked indignant when she slapped and it made people go oh my god is she still functioning for a few seconds no, no but it was just <laughs> this this act of this person lifting up her head and slapping her face he was imprisoned is that like you regardless of who no, she was you yes. cannot do that to a lady you can't do that to the dead um but people thought because of the slap probably there would be blushing or because like, the blood and everything but also like that she changed from hmm to oh how, how dare you <laughs> how dare you you awful awful man he would go on to be the executioner during the reign of terror. Mm. Charles Henri was demand. It was in demand. More and more and more famous people came to the guillotine. You have Robespierre. It didn't work out well for him. No, it did not work <laughs> out well for him. His death was quite instrumental. Mm. Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Actually, technically, his son who did the honors there again. All of these people could be worth <laughs> an episode in themselves. Louis XVI. In total, just under three thousand people were killed, dispatched by Charles Henri in his career. He wrote of killing 54 people in one day in 1793, going, oh, a terrible day's work. <laughs> Very busy. And he also apparently wrote in his memoirs, great citizens and good men follow one another continuously to the guillotine. How many of them will it yet devour? Mm -hmm. When asked how he felt during an execution, Charles Henri reportedly replied, Monsieur, I'm always in a great hurry to get it over with. Yes. Charles Henri would retire in 1795 in full. He handed over the red coat to his son, Henri. Henri had two sons. Luckily, he named them something different than Charles. He had Gabriel, but then another Henri. Henri, his son, carry on to his death in 1840, and he was succeeded by his son, Henri Clément. <laughs> 
he would be the last of the Sandholes uh. to serve as executioner. Allegedly, this last Henri was terrible at his job. Terrible, <laughs> had no stomach for it, mm. not prepped, had come out of just simple guillotining execution, like, oh my God, you've not seen anyone broken on the wheel. It became so debt-ridden that he pawned the family guillotine. <laughs> is the only way to describe yeah. it. His father's it's guillotine. <laughs> Passed down through the generations. Passed down either all of it or bits of it. <laughs> and he was then fired by misusing municipal property. The state were like, no, no. <laughs> you can't do that. Give it back. They bought it back and then fired him. Like, fuck off. But that ended the Sanson line. A last funny little epitaph to the story. And back to our secret ingredient. Okay. Originally, Charles-Henri had an older son, Gabriel, who was supposed to inherit the red coat. He was supposed to succeed him as executioner, and he did for a time. But he died, tragically, on the scaffold. While holding up a severed head, he slipped on the blood and fell off the scaffold. Oh, God. <laughs> and he died from his injuries. Severed Whoops. heads! Don't play with them. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, oh, I slipped and fell into the guillotine. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> but I fell off the scaffold. His penis was cut off. Like, oh, no, I was, I was totally testing it. <laughs> These executioners were stuck with their jobs, forced to administer and endure countless acts of violence. It led to many of them spiralling into depression, drink, misery, debt. We may say, oh, boo-hoo, poor executioners. And to be honest, really, I'm not making a case for sympathy or condemnation either way. It's just a job that literally someone had to do. Yeah. And it is uniquely fascinating at that. So that is the story of a family of executioners. Mm, very good. Oh, I like it. Ta-da! Like some good old guillotining. Oh, yeah, there we go. Nicely done. <laughs> Nicely done. So there's, there's a lot more executioner stories out there. But then I started reading yeah. these. I was like, oh, no, this is lots. <laughs> <laughs> but then we have to do a Pierpoint one at some point. Where, yes. So, Pierpoint, Albert Pierpoint yeah. and the whole family fascinating from a, yeah, from, a, from a UK perspective but also from from in that you've also got Louis XVI if you wanted you've got Marie Antoinette yeah. you've got all of the murderers who were executed lots of bits French Revolution if anyone wants to hear about that it's good fun there's a, there's a lot of crime out there still to do there's a lot of crime <laughs> that we can cover Nick and I think we can do it we can do it we can do all crime by the time we finish pretty much <laughs> yes anyway what do you think of executioners I've never given them a great deal of thought before um, I imagine it is. It's a fairly thankless job, really, is it? It's a it's an interesting moral but, dilemma. Yeah. What the what do you do with an executioner? Like, would you I, be well, mates with one? I don't, th I don't one? think. You, well, would you be mates with one? I mean, it's a, that's a horrible question to ask, but really, you probably would think it. Yes, probably well, probably not. Because I think these days, if someone's an executioner, and there are people out there, not necessarily in the UK, but in certain countries in the world that have. If they are in the UK, I have questions <laughs> for them. Um, like, what the they, hell? They, mate? they must they must be out there. But one would imagine. They have chosen that profession. It's not. It's not passed down through family lines anymore. Yes. Um, yeah, so if you true. are an executioner in a modern sense, then one assumes yes that you have op fallen into or opted into that profession. Mm. In which case, I think we probably wouldn't have a lot to talk about around the dinner table <laughs> or in the pub. Of an evening. Well, I think we may have different outlooks on life. I don't, but they're not going to talk about that, are they? Well, no, but I imagine if someone who... One would imagine if you're an executioner, you have to be sort of fairly pro-capital punishment. Um, 
yes, and, yes. and have that sort of political leanings. Right, okay, which I see where you're going Which is not necessarily I, my political leanings. <laughs> so, I feel, so I can't imagine I would be yeah. in conversation with someone of that... I, I who, was, who did that? I was picturing that you had met someone. They walked in, going, "You know what's great? Capital punishment." Anyway, here's some punch. Really want to talk about hangings, <laughs> but I'm not an executioner, by the way. So, but um, I'm sure there are people out there who may well know someone who does what such a thing. Bears talking about Albert Pierpoint in the future because he was completely secret from all of his friends. Yeah. None of his friends knew, no one knew, and they didn't talk about capital punishment. Yeah. He just would not talk about it. He was a pub landlord. Very true. He did. So not I don't really know how it works in the modern discuss sense. Discuss it. I in, don't. Well, you know, so in, complete in, in, anonymity. I in, guess. Yeah, I mean, is that is that still the case? Is that back then you couldn't? You know, all yeah. you have to do was like my hood fell off. <laughs> so my mind goes to the states, where states, certain states in the states have yeah. capital punishment and things like and, that. And let's be um, very clear, this happens across the world, so we're not singling absolutely. out the USA yes, as an example. As an as an example, but you think there are people there witnessing these things. Mm. They're not wearing hoods anymore. Yeah. The people who press the button, no, yeah, or any yeah. of that, they're they're not. So obviously then their, their identity is not secret. They are no longer anonymous. So people must know who these people are and, and they, they must live normal lives as well. So they, it can't be that they are... Is it something... It's a whole rabbit hole know. here, but is it that executions in the modern day, it's got to be the, the governor or something or the, the, the head of the prison? I know that's a really weird way of saying it, but they're the person responsible for flipping the switch. I, I thought, not, not for flipping the switch. I think they're the person responsible because it's their prison. It's their decision. Um, and it's their decision to say, right, so yes, ultimately they this get is the responsibility. This, they get the responsibility to say, well, and, and, yes, yeah. this is going ahead, but they're so not I the guess one that's, who... The one who does, does the syringe or do does that. the does the button or whatever it. That's a crazy question. Like, so, how can you can you morally, even if it's just paid a job and saying like someone has to so do some, this? Someone has to do that. Someone and has to. This was the case back then. Yeah. It's you, you're pulling the cord or whatever it is for the for the guillotine, pressing the button, <laughs> flipping the switch. Yeah, Literally. but at least then there was wielding some the axe and anonymity about it with the simplicity of a hood, which you don't have these days. People knew you and they could, and in some cases they were wearing hoods, but. Yeah, yeah, someone had that's... to do it because you were paid a huge amount of money and if you're hungry, you're starving, they weren't. They were from a very well-to-do family. But it's much more divisive now yeah. than it was then. You have crowds of people turning out. You had campaigners and saying this is not great, guys, because they were the predecessors of everything for today. But those campaigners were saying do it nicely. Because they, the... <laughs> they, they, well, exactly. they, they knew they, they weren't going to win. They knew they weren't going to win. So if we, if we have to do this, we have to do it in a nice way. Um, yes, be reasonable lads yeah. <laughs> i mean fair play fair play to monsieur guillotine yeah. really um who is who is the guy it's named after the inventors get nothing the inventors get nothing madame guillotine who was only happy to just ride around a big horse and wear her guillotine earrings which were in fashion at the time everyone was wearing them. oh yeah it was a big thing i'd love to get a pair of those i don't know if i would love to get it morally but also <laughs> they look fabulous it's a good look it's a good look but Michel Guillotine, the man who was campaigning against capital punishment, said, all you can do is go, right, I'm not going to change your mind, yeah. but can we not do the shit on the wheel? Can we not use the boot, the lead, just quick and sudden? And it and it worked. Mm -hmm. And it was, the guillotine was used for a long time in yeah. France. I think, was it in France? Is it the like 50s or something like that? I think it was, it was certainly after the war. That was when it was used. It wasn't until like the 70s and 80s. It was actually written out of law. It was still there if you need it. Regicide. Yeah. yeah like, not that there's been a king. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, since the last, like, since Napoleon the Third. Since the last one, yeah. yeah. Since Louis the Sixteenth, it really went downhill. <laughs> well, what do you think, people? Executioners, really interesting debate and interesting subject. And there may be 
any other stories you'd like us to cover. Whether they're about executioners or whether there are figures in this story you are hungry for more information on. I'm sure Tim would love to weigh in. Oh, absolutely. On some of the Louis. <laughs> all of them. All great. They're all great. They're all, they're all mad. They're brilliant. All man yeah. of the iron mask. Let's do that one. Go on then. Okay. Now, go on. Let's, I'll just watch the Leonardo DiCaprio documentary. Documentary, yeah, yeah. It's it's a book. <laughs> if there are more stories you'd like us to cover, let us know. And weigh in on your thoughts of the executioners. Look, you know where we stand on capital punishment, but we would value other people's debate and what it's like where you are. Any insights, welcome and no judgment. Jump on the comments of wherever you listen to this episode, on social media, on any of the channels where you get your podcasts and tell us what you think. But most importantly, you must mix up. A guillotine! <laughs> Mix up a guillotine. Oh my god, it's, it's so nice. good. It's good. Can we have more of those right now? Because I want more of them. <laughs> <laughs> Can't ask for a better reason than that. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, you know what? No debate whatsoever. More I just go want more. fetch. <laughs> In a nice way. In a nice way. Give me a fucking drink. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. They're just really nice. They're really nice and they're simple. Anyone could make them. Absolutely. Mix them up if you can. Share pictures of any of the cocktails that you are making, uh, any of the varieties, the ones that we create. Please share them on social media. Send them to us. We love to see what you are enjoying. If you haven't already, please come and join us on Patreon. And we're going to be recording some of our early episodes. Apparently, yeah. Again, because Nick's decided. Decided. Thoughts on that? that? Weigh in, people. We'd love to know what you think. Thanks for listening, guys. We have been the people inside the poisoner's cabinet. We will see you next week. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. Bye.